0: and go with us to the Old Testament book of Ezra, Ezra, and we're doing Route 66. I wonder, anybody get in here tonight without a copy of the notes? Raise your hand if you did not get the notes. Brother uh, Tim, Brother Gusler, or somebody, there you go. Brother Tim's going to grab a few. These guys back here visiting, did they get a copy of them? Okay, all right. And uh, you get extra points if you get all the blanks filled in and so do your best, and uh, so I apologize if we get going very fast. Raise your hand if you need a copy. Brother Tim's got a few. Anybody at all? Looks like uh, we see one over here. Everybody? All right, good. Okay, we're in Ezra, the book of Ezra, and of course, uh, as you think about Route 66, if you notice on the slide here that we just, we last year we did uh, the New Testament books, and so Uh, What we're covering now is the Old Testament books, and of course, you see there the blue section, the light blue section, this is the section that is the historical sections of the book of Ezra, and uh, this is what we're going to be looking at. Now, I've entitled every one of these, and I've given a title to the book of Ezra, it's the book of the returning remnant, the book of the returning remnant, we're going to see that throughout the study tonight. And so some of you, uh, maybe maybe because you're picking this up in the middle, uh, the children of Israel had gone into captivity. And we find here in this particular book, and we'll look at one next week, <clears throat> where they actually returned from the captivity. Remember that the nation of Israel was a divided kingdom. And they, some went into the, the captivity in Assyria Some went to Babylon, and so we find here in the book of Ezra that this is now the returning remnant coming back into the land. I have a little uh, chart here that I wanted to show you, and of course, this is one I gave you earlier. Notice the headings across the top. These would be, go back, go back. This would be the division of the Old Testament books, okay? So if you notice, we covered the five books of the law. That's oftentimes known as the Pentateuch. And this isn't in your notes. This is just free. All right. Some of you are looking for this. All right. So notice the next column there is the books of history. So it begins there with the book of Joshua. And we've gone down through this list of historical books. And so if you look there on the last three on the bottom of this list of history, there you go. We're in the book of Ezra tonight. We have the book of Nehemiah next week. And then we have the book of Esther. These are the last three that fit into this section known as the historical section of the Old Testament books. Now, go to the next slide, and you see here, as it says at the top, the history of Israel. Notice that we, we began the first book in the Old Testament, Genesis. We've gone through all the way to the book of 2 Kings, even First and 2 Chronicles. Notice underneath of that, you have Abraham, Moses, Saul, David, and Solomon, and of course, Then the kingdom is divided. That's why the line goes two ways. Notice 722, the northern kingdom is taken captive by Assyria. 586, Jerusalem is taken, and the temple is destroyed by Babylon. Now, as you see where 2 Kings ends, notice you have that period, that 70-year period where God's people went into captivity. Now, keep in mind the reason that they went into captivity is because God said this. He said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the major problem that the nation of Israel had, which is still something that is plaguing people today, is the sin of idolatry. Israel struggled. They began to to worship the gods of the land that God gave to them. And instead of following the one true God... And because God had many times, by the way, you can go back, we've done it for weeks and weeks and months and months, you can see the grace of God, you can see the mercy of God, you can see the long suffering of God, but eventually, like Romans chapter 1, God gave them up. And you find them going into captivity. Now at the end of that 70 years, notice the two yellow boxes there. One says Ezra, where we are tonight. One says Nehemiah, where we'll be next week. So these are after the captivity, okay? So these are what they oftentimes refer to as post-exilic books. They are after the exile, after the captivity. Now down at the bottom, and we'll get to this, 536, a small remnant returns to the land, and they went back to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, now, remember, what was the project of Nehemiah? The wall, okay? So when we look at this particular book we're going to study tonight, they focus on the temple and they focus on the city, okay? Keep all of that in mind. Now, by the way, if, just since we have this up here, notice that beyond these two, we have what oftentimes we see. It says here, 400 silent years, So in your Bible, what that is, is that would be when you come to the end of what we call the Old Testament, and that would be until the New Testament begins. There was 400 years where God went silent. No communication, no open revelation, and it was as if God was ignoring man. Now, by the way, it's not because God is a mean God, because we know He's not. God is good all the time, right? but it's because of the sinful nature of mankind. So that's where the end of that 400 years of silence, then you see the New Testament era, and of course, what did God do? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son into this world. So that gives you a snapshot. I know I went through that rather quickly, but I wanted you to kind of get in your mind as we begin the study tonight. I also want you to see this timeline of the book of Ezra. So if you notice quickly across the top, and we'll talk about each one of these kings, and you see them, you can see the dates there 550 all the way to 523, the 70 year on the left, 70 years of captivity, the fall of Babylon. And then notice here in chapter 1 verse 1, this gives you the historical setting of the book of Ezra. Okay? So he's enlarged it here. Notice the first return of the exiles, and that happened under the leadership of a man named by, by the name of Zerubbabel. How would you like that for your name? Zerubbabel, all right? And so we see the first return, and the temple is begun, the rebuilding of the temple. Then notice the temple is discontinued. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The work was progressing, and the work came to a screeching halt. Then we see years later the temple is resumed, and the temple is finished. Notice the references down here. All of this is in the setting of the book of Ezra. Okay, if he continues over what he's trying to do, you might have to go out a little. There you go. Notice in chapter seven. So what? There's something that happens between chapter six of the book of Ezra and chapter seven of the book of Ezra. But when you get to chapter seven, the second return of the exiles so it was in two waves of people returning to the land of Jerusalem the land of Israel notice and this second return is under the leadership of the man whose book this book bears his name and that is Ezra so the first return was with Zerubbabel the second one was with Ezra and then notice here and we'll get to that next week a third group of exiles under Nehemiah's leadership all right So that gives you a little idea there, and if you go back down, if you can, or towards the top, I want you to see again, there you go, and and zoom out so we can see the whole thing there real quick. There you go. So notice the kings here. Cyrus is the one that issues the decree. Then notice you have a few uh, that really had small roles, but then Darius, Xerxes, and then, of course, Artaxerxes, And listen, I'll tell you this. You see these kings, and you see what we're about to study tonight, but what you need to see, which isn't on this slide, is all of this was in the providence of God, every last bit of it. And if God can work in such a way in that day, God can still work in our day. I'm afraid as Christians, we see the temperature of the world we live in and we see the political arena of the world we live in, and everybody wants to paint a picture of gloom and doom, and everybody wants to sit around and twiddle their thumbs, and woe is me, and the media is painting whatever picture they want. But listen, I am still 100% that God is still on the throne. And we need to understand this. I think this book, is a great illustration of the power of our God, and I want you to see that tonight as we get into this. Now, in your outline, I have pretty much cover some, some of the same things. We'll go through this rather quickly, and you just uh, jot a few things down, and then you could take it with you and go back and look at the book, but notice, first of all, the name of the book. The Jews counted both Ezra and the book of Nehemiah as one book. Now, keep that in mind, because the The way the Jewish Bible was put together is a little different than the sections in our Bible. So when the Jews looked at this book, Ezra, it was really one of two that made up what is known as the book of Ezra. Nehemiah, of course, is the second book of Ezra, and of course, Ezra is the first book of Ezra. Now, there is a connection, and it's not the previous necessarily, but I want you to see that. Ezra continues the historical narrative where the book we call 2 Chronicles ends. And what it does is it traces the history of the return of the Jews from exile, from captivity, which I said earlier. Now, I want to say this before I move on, and I want you to always keep this in mind, that when we think of reading our Bible, studying our Bible, remember that not everything in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation is in chronological order. Keep that in mind as you're reading it. One thing that has helped me over the years, some people like it, some people don't, but there are a couple really good chronological Bibles out there that you could purchase. Uh, I'll tell you, to me, it's, it, one year I did my Bible reading, uh, my daily Bible reading from a chronological Bible. I have one that was put out by a man by the name of Ed Reese. R-E-E-S-E. It's a really good chronological Bible. But what's neat about it is when you're reading a chronological Bible, it might, it might go to this book and then it might jump over to this book and come back to this book and then go to this book because it gives you all the events in chronological order. Does that make sense to you? Now, again, when we read our Bible from Genesis to Revelation, one of the oldest books in our Bible is the book of Job. And we haven't even got to the book of Job yet. And here we are, we're in the book of Ezra. So keep that in mind as you're reading, as you're studying the Word of God. That's why I give you some context here. That's why I give you some dates here so that you can kind of put it all together. And uh, listen, a lot of times there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but we, we want to understand so that we can rightly divide the Word of God. Now look at the contents of the book of Ezra. It gives the fulfillment of the prophecies, concerning the return of the Jews from captivity. We've already said that. And we'll add to that rebuilding of the temple. We'll add to that an account of the state of the spiritual seed within the nation in in those times, the troubles and the difficulties which they met, and what care was taken to keep the tribes and families distinct that it might be known from whom the Messiah would come. Now, I think that's important, don't you? To make sure we have proper lineage on where Jesus, the tribe that he came through. Now, we can easily figure that out as we study the Bible. Now, some of you, if you did your Bible reading or you're familiar with the book of Ezra, uh, what's interesting is when you get to the end of the book, it seems like an odd ending to this book. But if you notice, and and maybe we'll go over there, let's see if I can find it here. Ezra chapter number, uh, turn over to Ezra chapter number nine. And I want you to see this. Now, the Bible says here in Ezra chapter number nine, look at verse one. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites, notice these words. "...have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves, and for their sons, so that the holy seed..." Everybody see that? H-O-L-Y, the holy seed, God's people... The Bible says, the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. Folks, look, it went all the way to the top. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that God still says, I'm a holy God, therefore be ye holy. What does the Bible say in the New Testament? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So what is God saying here? Well, listen, you have to understand that when they went in to take the land, God told them that he was not interested in what is referred to as a mixed multitude. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves all people. But here's the thing is, is that they began to mingle with those that were creating abominations, serving other gods. And so what happens at the end of the book of Ezra, as it says right here, is they had to look at what is known as the spiritual seed, the holy seed, and they had to determine and there were families, now this sounds mean, but if you really understand it and you study it out, there were families that were separated one from the other. Now, things happen over the course of time. And if a if a, a man married a woman that was not a, a, a saved woman, but along the way she had gotten saved, she had repented of her sins, she had placed her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those families were allowed to stay together. But it was the families that were that were existing together, that one was a child of God and one was not a child of God, those were actually separated because God says, look, we need to get things in proper order. This book deals with the establishment of not only the city, but the temple. And along with the temple comes proper worship. And see, you and I need to understand this. We'll see this a little bit more in detail as we go through this. Now, here's something interesting. The sixth chapter of the book of Ezra, there's ten chapters. So you read the first six chapters. The sixth chapter ends with the completion of the restoration temple, as we'll call it. But look at this. Chapter 7. Now, in your Bible, here's what you do. You're reading along, you get to the end of chapter 6, what do you do? You just jump to the next chapter and you keep reading. But here's what you need to understand is chapter 7 begins with the events in the life of Ezra about 60 years later. There's a 60 year interval between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Is everybody with me? You understand what I'm saying here? So we have to understand this. Remember that the temple was being built, and then all of a sudden, 60 years goes by, and this is probably due to the fact that Ezra's purpose was to deal with the restoring of the temple, its religious institutions, and the religious life of Israel. To better understand events as they occurred with the Jews, here's what you can do. You can read the book of Esther. Listen to this. This is a good thing to do. Read the book of Esther between chapters 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra. So next time you're reading, or maybe this week, read Ezra chapter 1 through 6, then read the book of Esther. Then go back to chapter 7 of Ezra and read Ezra chapter 7 through Ezra chapter number 10. Because, listen, historically, that's where the book of Esther fits in as far as the people of God and their history. And so you can see this. I think we have the chart. We have that chart. There you go. So, so I want you to notice, look at the very top. It says the first return of the exiles. Then notice the second return. But right between chapter 6 and 7 at the very top, notice the book of Esther is dated right there. That's where you see historically the book of Esther fits in. Now go to the bottom, guys. Go all the way to the left. And I want to stay right there. So notice this first section, chapters 1 to 6, the restoration under Zerubbabel. You can see, again, how they began to rebuild the temple, the work that was being, it began, it was opposed, then it was resumed, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Notice Cyrus was the king, then Darius. Now look at the second section after, historically, the book of Esther. Notice the reform now, the second return under Ezra. You see the journey because it began with the decree of Artaxerxes, and then you see uh, the psalm of Ezra there in chapter seven, and then the list of those that returned. A lot of times we get to those lists in the Bible and they don't really uh, excite us, but listen, these were the people that actually returned with Ezra. They make their journey to Jerusalem, and then this is what I was talking about earlier is the dissolving of the mixed marriages, and it says right here, that there was a report given, there was grief, there was prayer. This wasn't something that was just done to be mean to families. Uh, God's not in the, the destroying business. And so understand that there was some confession made, there was some disillusion made there, and of course you see at the end an appendix list that is given there. And so it's interesting the way this book is put together, how God wanted us to see this. And again, this is all given by inspiration of God. So this gives us a little bit of an understanding. You can look at that. We went through that rather quickly. It might help you to spend some time yourself. Now, the character of the book, this is, as you've seen in that list, the the three, we got down to the last three. This is the historical section of the Bible in the Old Testament. The subject of the book of Ezra is the restoration of the temple and temple worship. And listen, God was wanting his people to get back to worshiping him. The purpose of the book of Ezra is to teach us God's method of restoring his people to the place of fellowship and blessing. Aren't you glad God's in the restoration business? You know, listen, there is no, a lot of times people talk about, boy, he's the God of second chance. Well, in my life, it's second, third, fourth, fifteenth. You know, and I love even in the New Testament, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, listen to this word, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. Isn't God a good God? you know wonderful wonderful verses there teaching us that God wants to restore his people to the place of fellowship. God wants you to have a blessed life. You know, here's a young man, he's he's in college. Most guys in college, they're not in church tonight. But here he is. You know, you know what I say? He's in the place of God's blessing. And that's what you and I should desire for ourselves. God wants to restore us and so notice, that just a simple outline, I already kind of touched on it, but notice the, the two sections of the return. The first one is under Zerubbabel, we see the restoration of the Jews, the opposition to the work. By the way, anytime you try to do work for God, there's always going to be people. We'll see that next week with Nehemiah. Hey, Nehemiah, what are you doing up there? Why don't you come on down from the wall? You know, listen, it wasn't, we understand as we study the Bible, the walls were there for protection. But you know what the walls were to Nehemiah? They were the work that God gave him to do. And there's a lot of people who are doing the devil's work that are trying to get God's people to stop doing God's work. And you know what? You and I need to do the same thing that Ezra did, the same thing that Nehemiah did, and say, you know what? I can't come down from this wall. There's too much to do. God has so much that he wants for his people. I cannot come down. And so that's what we see here is, the opposition to the work of God, and then, of course, praise the Lord, they were able to finish the temple. It was dedicated there in chapters 5 and 6. And then the second wave of return from, the, from exile we see under Ezra, and we see the proclamation of Artaxerxes, the liberation of the Jews, the intercession. That's really dealing with the psalm of Ezra. And then, of course, the reformation of the people, God trying to get his people back to where they needed to be. And just a simple outline, but it'll help you as you read these 10 chapters. Notice the scope of the book. I just told you that chapter 6 to 7 is a period of about 60 years. So when you look at the rest of it, Ezra covers a, a history of about 75 years, give or take a year or two. The writer is generally accepted by Jews and Christians to be that of Ezra, who was the author of the book that bears his name. And Ezra was <clears throat> excuse me, a descendant of Hilkiah, and Hilkiah, of course, was the high priest. He was the one in the Bible that found a copy of the law during the reign of Josiah. And they, they found a copy of it. They read it. <clears throat> and so this is uh, who Ezra is. Now, Ezra has been called the second founder of the Jewish state. He's held in very high regard by Jewish people. Boy, you talk about a, this, this man was an amazing guy. Just a few attributes, few things about his life. He was a student. He was a statesman. He was a reformer. He was a historian. He was a preacher, a teacher. He was a governor. He was a priest. He was a scribe. But most of all, he was a saint of God. And listen, God used this man in a wonderful way, and that's why he's oftentimes called the second founder of the Jewish state. Now, once Ezra, get a hold of this. It's not in your notes. I just wanted to throw this out. When you're reading through the book, Ezra, once he appears And he appears in what chapter? The second return was under Ezra. What chapter? Seven, right? So once Ezra, watch this, when you you go back and read, once Ezra appears on the scene in chapter seven, the author of the book, many believe it was Ezra, he switches from writing in third person to first person. It's kind of interesting. You know, which again is why people believe that he was the writer. So, again, we see in the first six chapters, it's written in the third person. But then in chapter seven through chapter 10, it goes to first person. And so you can look for yourself. Now, as a priest, and that's what one of the things Ezra was Ezra was not able to serve during the captivity. Now, the reason for that was because there was no temple. Remember, the temple was destroyed. So during this particular time that he was not able to perform his priestly duties, what did he do? He gave his time to study the Word of God. You know, there, there have been times in my life when I've been waiting on the Lord. Now, it wasn't because God destroyed a temple and I couldn't do what God called me to do, but there were times and have been times where I've had to sit and wait on the Lord, and listen, there's nothing better to do than spend time with the Lord. Spend time studying his word. Get deeper in the word of God. Look what it says in chapter 7, in verse number 6. This Ezra went up to Babylon, and he was a ready scribe. The Bible says, in the law of Moses. Now, it's talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Now, the words there, he was a ready scribe. What does that mean? Well, that means that he was a competent He was a skillful scribe. He knew the Word of God. As a matter of fact, he knew it well enough that he was able to quickly do the work of a scribe. See, back then, they didn't have these nice little slimline Bibles. If you wanted a copy of God's Word, it had to be handwritten meticulously. And uh, that's why Ezra was a scribe. He was a ready scribe. He was very meticulous About the Word of God. Ezra was a great revivalist. He was a reformer. He organized, listen to this, he was one they accredit the Jewish people. He organized the synagogue. He was the founder of the Order of the Scribes. This man was very, very influential in the lives of the children of Israel. He helped to settle what is oftentimes referred to as the canon of Scripture, how the Bible was put together, the Jewish Bible. And he also was one that helped to arrange the book that we call Psalms, the songs. He helped to organize, to arrange that. Listen, this man was used in many, many ways in the nation of Israel's history, and that's why he holds a special place as the second founder of the Jewish state. Now, to whom was the book written to? It was, again, written to the returning remnant, as a record of their destiny. See, listen, God might have sent them into captivity, but just like even today, God is not done with Israel. God still has a plan. And you see this even in the New Testament in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, that God is going to fulfill every promise, every covenant that he has made with the nation of Israel. And that's why We need to be friends to Israel. We need to pray for Israel because God has something very special in the days ahead for them. When was it written? Between 460 and 457 BC. We historically, date wise, chronologically, we've been going closer and closer to the time of Christ. And so understand that's when it was written. Now, where was it written? Possibly. Many believe Ezra might have recorded because it's in two parts that Ezra might have recorded the first part when he was in Babylon, and, the, and he finished the rest of it after they returned to Jerusalem. And so that is highly possible that he was able to do that. The key chapter, chapter 6, has to be when they dedicated the temple. And man, what a, what a day that was when the temple of God, the house of worship, the place of God. You think about, listen, I, I, I'm glad, like today, those that showed up to worship God this morning but my heart was here we have a church and it's not full. You look across America, church after church after church and they're not full. Matter of fact, many of them are not even half full. And that that has to sadden the heart of God that his house is not full. And we need to understand the importance of getting back to worshiping God and we see the dedication of the temple, chapter 1 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites. Notice these words. With all them whose spirit God had raised up to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. That's why the key word is the word build. And we see the key phrase is the word of the Lord. Ezra 1, the very first verse in this book. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up, notice that, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Isn't that great how God can stir up anyone? to do a work for him. God can use anyone. God can use our president. God can use people in Congress. God can use us, and that's what God did. He used Cyrus. He stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, and Cyrus made a proclamation. And I'm going to pick that thought up here in just a minute. Now, the key thought to the book, here it is. Return from captivity and rebuild the temple. That was the whole plan. God says, I'll allow you to go back, And here's what I want you to do. Now, the spiritual thought is this, to repair God's house. Now, look at the order. First, the temple is built. First, the temple. Afterwards, in the book of Nehemiah, then the walls of the city are rebuilt. The inner is repaired before the outer. Are you listening? The inner. In other words, cleanse the heart the inner, and all else, the outer, will be clean. When we get saved, guess where that salvation takes place? In the heart. And that's why oftentimes, listen, many times I hear people say, well, it doesn't really matter this, doesn't really matter that. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. See, the reason that people do the things, or wear the things, or, 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 or take part in things, is they don't understand that everything we do on the outside is an expression of what's on the inside. Are you with me? So what, what was interesting, and you study this book, here's what happened. When they got back to Jerusalem, the very first thing that they did was to set up the altar. The place of worship. You know where the altar is today? By no? It's your heart. The altar is your heart. And when this is right, everything on the outside will be right. The focus in the book of Ezra is phenomenal because it focuses on the inner. Before the outer. You know, I I see sometimes, and listen, I I try my best. I, I try my best. But I see how people approach God. I see the lack of respect when they approach God. This casual approach to God. It's not pleasing to the Lord. I'm not here today to to talk about standards. I'm saying search your heart. You know, here's the amazing thing is if the president of the United States was going to come through town, I've seen people I've seen people go buy suits and put suits on. There's sports newscasters that dress nicer on ESPN than God's people coming to God's house. Now it's not about wearing a suit, wearing a tie. I've always just told people that we should wear our best because we're coming to worship God. We need to understand that there are still biblical standards. When Moses came before God, God says, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. Folks, either we believe this or we don't. God is still a holy God. And again, I'm not not trying to I'm not trying to pass off my preferences, my standards. I'm just telling you, search your heart because we have to understand that God still has a way that He wants His people. That's what the message this morning: sanctification is all about, is approaching God for who He is. These churches today that, that you see, they're not churches. If I dialed back my life 35 years, those so-called churches are rock concerts. That's what they are. Like it or lump it. I know the life I was living before God saved me. And I don't find God accepting that form of worship. And we see this here in this book, how God says, I want you to return. I want you to work on the inner. Now, again, that's between you and God. I never think less of someone. But God wants us to, as it says here, to repair what has been broken down, what has been destroyed, to cleanse the inner and the outer will be clean. Now, notice a couple things that I think are unique about the book. Notice a couple individuals, key people. I think it's important for us to understand this point of history and what happened and who was involved. Now, I've mentioned his name a couple times, Cyrus. This was the Persian king who actually decreed to allow the return of the Jews from captivity. Now, why did he do that? Because God stirred him up to do that. That's why he did it. Notice another individual I mentioned is Zerubbabel. This would be the grandson of King Jehoiachin of Judah. He was a descendant of David. He was one of the leaders who supervised the reconstruction of the temple. It's important for us to understand the role Zerubbabel played, and we see it in the context, the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. Now, here's a name. Many people see this and they think it's the name Joshua, but it's actually the name Yeshua or Jeshua. And it's Jeshua was the high priest. This particular individual was the grandson of the last high priest who served in the first temple. Isn't that interesting? So here's his grandson. And this Jeshua was active in the rebuilding of the temple and the Jewish state. He was the high priest when they reconstructed the temple. And then, of course, Ezra, the last key person, was the head of the Jewish community when they had returned to Jerusalem. And here's the thought when I looked at these individuals, and there's others in the book of Ezra. But here's what I would say is God chooses to employ human instruments to accomplish his purposes. God stirs up foreign kings like Cyrus and Darius to aid his people. I love how our God is a sovereign God and how God is involved in the affairs of mankind. And we see here that God still to this day chooses, listen to me, he chooses to use human instruments. That's where we come in. Now, another thing that I have always thought to be interesting, and you probably have heard this, you ever heard the saying, the law of the Medes and Persians? Well, you you find that not only here, but you find that also in the book of Daniel in the Bible. And you find here that the law of the Medes and Persians in Daniel chapter 6, the Bible says, now, O king, establish the decree, notice the decree, and sign the writing, Notice these words, that it may be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. In other words, once it became a decree, became a law, regardless of the events which occurred before or after issuance of the decree, or no matter what persons were involved, once this decree was issued, they were binding and they could never be Change. Remember the story about Daniel and Daniel just continued to pray? Remember that? What happened to Daniel? What did they do with him? They threw him in the lion's den, didn't they? Remember how the king struggled all night? He didn't want to put Daniel there, did he? But you know what? He was bound by the law of the Medes and Persians and it could not be changed, it could not be altered. You think about it, listen, the laws of our land. You know what people say about the laws of our land? They're made to be what? Broken. A man's word is no longer good. There was a day where a man's word was good. But the law of the Medes and Persians. Now, I want you to think about this. Keep your your thinking cap on because I want you to see this. When When God prophesied, that Cyrus would permit Israel to return to Jerusalem after their captivity. Watch this. Because he is God, he knew that Cyrus's decree could not be altered. Remember the law of the Medes and Persians? Can't be changed, can't be altered. Once it's made, it's binding, it's legal. But when God prophesied, God knew that Cyrus's decree. Could not be altered, thereby assuring Israel of the return, her return to the land of God's choosing. Isn't that awesome? God knew. Just like in the fullness of time, God makes no mistakes. Everything God does, he does on purpose. I believe God chose the languages on purpose that he allowed his word to be written in, to be inspired. The Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament. You think about it, the Greek, you think about this this language that the New Testament was given in, today it's a dead language. It's a language that's no longer viable. There's a modern Greek language, but God said this, my word is forever settled. God's word doesn't change. But what does man do day after day, year after year? Man tries to change the words of God, and God gives stern warning. That you're not supposed to add anything to nor take anything away from his word. And so we find here that God knew that that decree could not be altered. Now, here's the thought. When the adversaries sought to hinder the building of the temple, and they did, and they, for a while, succeeded in stopping the work temporarily, if you remember the story, King Darius, who's now in control at this time, what did he do? They sent and they found the decree, so he confirmed the decree of Cyrus, and he says, yep, that was the decree that was made, and it's the law of the Medes and Persians, and guess what? The temple was resumed, and the temple was finished. See, all of this was in God's plan, as well as notice the next thing that I found interesting is this matter of a remnant. You see, whenever disaster or judgment falls, and that's what you could categorize the, the captivity, the 70 years captivity. Notice God always saves a tiny remnant for himself. And you see this in the Bible. Remember in the days of Noah, the whole world was destroyed by what? By a flood. Anybody survive? Eight people. A remnant. You see this in the Bible. Remember the days of Lot, Sodom, and Gomorrah? Remember how, listen, at 50 or 40, if 30, I mean, just kept pleading with God, and yet a remnant survived. How about, remember in the days of, of Elijah and Ahab? And, and they thought that everybody had bowed down. Had everybody bowed down? No, there were 7,000 that had not bowed down. God always reserves a remnant. And here in, in the book of Ezra, the remnant that God had was some 50,000. Jews that returned to the land of Judea. God always has a remnant. He saves a remnant for himself. Notice how Christ is magnified in the book of Ezra, and I love this. He's our liberator from captivity. He is the one that has set us free. We sang this morning, my chains are gone. I've been set free. God's choice of Cyrus to liberate his people from the Babylonian captivity gives us a picture of of Christ as our liberator from spiritual bondage. I want to give you five ways that you see this this comparison, this parallel, and in no way am I saying that Christ was like Cyrus, but I think we see some things, how God used Cyrus. And notice, first of all, both of them are referred to as God's anointed. Now, we know what the New Testament says. The word Messiah means the anointed one. But what does God say about Cyrus? Because Cyrus was a Gentile. Jesus was a Jew. Notice what Isaiah wrote. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. So both Christ and Cyrus are referred to as God's anointed. Notice, secondly, both of them are also referred to as God's shepherd. Again, back in Isaiah chapter 44, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Now, we know that Jesus is the chief shepherd, right? The good shepherd. But we see even Cyrus is referred to as God's shepherd. We also see that both Christ and Cyrus are conquerors of Israel's enemies. And you see that back in Isaiah 45 and verse 1, where the Bible says he would subdue nations before him, loose the loins of kings to open before him the leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. We also see that they are both restorers of the holy city Jerusalem. And how the Bible says back in chapter 44 of Cyrus, that notice again that, that thou shalt be built into the temple, thy foundation shall be laid, the restorers of the holy city. And, of course, Jerusalem talk, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ also. And then notice, fifthly, both of them, Christ and Cyrus, both glorify the name of the one true God. Ezra chapter 1, the second verse in the book, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia. Notice what he says. The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so we see Christ is strongly magnified as our liberator from captivity, and we praise God for that. Now notice a couple of things as we're done tonight. Many of the Jews, I found this interesting many years ago when I studied. That as they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, back to their homeland, they had been in captivity for how many years? Seventy years. This is kind of interesting. Some of them decided that they were going to stay. They had gotten complacent. Some of them maybe felt they couldn't make the journey back. They chose to stay in a foreign land instead of returning to the land of their fathers. And when I thought about that, and I thought about what happened to Israel, here's the thought that I had. When we wander from the Lord and then we start back to Him, that's what they did. They wandered into idolatry, then into captivity. When we start back to God, here's what happens. We discover much that needs to be repaired. You hear oftentimes talked about the scars of sin, the toll. You think about the son, the prodigal son that went and wasted his substance on riotous living. You see, we discover that a lot needs to be repaired, and the reason for the repairing is simply because of our backsliding from the Lord. Now, if we're a son of God, child of God, we will always be God's child. You can't lose your salvation because you didn't get it to begin with. Once a son, always a son. But you can backslide away from God. That's what Israel had done. They fell into idolatry. And if we attempt, and this is what happens sometimes... If we attempt to patch things up, we attempt to cover up our own ways, then our labor is just in vain. It's just putting a band aid on it. That's where the book of Ezra comes in, because this book helps us to understand how to repair God's house. You know, you think about this your body is the temple of the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. When we get away from God, God's house is ignored. The book of Ezra helps us understand that we need to see that this is a chronological uh, chronicle of hope and restoration. For the Christian whose life is scarred by sin and rebellion against God, there is great hope that ours... And I believe this with all my heart, that ours is a God of forgiveness. A God who will not turn his back on his children when they seek him in repentance. Remember the story again? The son had gone off in sin. When he started to make his way back, the father saw him. He ran to him. He fell on his neck. Shocked him. Hey, Dad, listen, I'm sorry. Can I just be one of your servants? Just maybe three squares a day, and I'll work for you the rest of my life. Oh, no. Oh, no. Go get my ring. Get my robe. Kill the fatted calf because my son who was gone, who was lost, has come home. That's our God. And I see this book and how it plays a role in the history of God's people who seek Him in repentance and brokenness. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He's just. The Bible says to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This week as you go through life, may you and I realize that our helplessness, apart from the working of God and seeing that if anything is going to be accomplished in our lives, it's going to be accomplished because it is God who works in us and it is God who works through us. You see, everything changed for Israel for a while. You see, that's still our sinful nature. But that's where this matter of God's work of sanctification comes in. We have a wonderful God. He's given us books like this in the Bible and a lot of times you look at the book of Ezra and you're really not that excited about it. But you know, I glean a lot from this book that helps me to understand how much God loves me. And God is not going to put up with sin in my life. You see, God does not work on the inside so that the outside will be what it ought to be. So listen, next week we're going to get into the book of Nehemiah. It kind of picks up where the book of Ezra is, and then we'll look at the book of Esther that kind of fits there between the first and second sections of the book of Ezra. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you for the study tonight. Thank you for this wonderful book. <clears throat> pray that you'd bless it. Lord, to our hearts, to our minds, so many wonderful lessons. Lord, so many people have wandered away and they believe the lies of the world and the devil, that God could never use them. God doesn't love them anymore, but that's not the God of the Bible. Lord, I thank you for the example, how you are a holy God and you do not want us to mix with that which is unholy. Lord, help us to live a life that's pleasing to you. Thank you for this study tonight. For those that were here, I pray that you would bless our week and use us for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.